0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Alberta IoT. A huge thank you to Brenda Beckendorf and her team for the work they're doing to establish Alberta as the worldwide center of excellence for the Internet of Things technology. Okay, before we go any further, IoT, you say? In an era of acronyms, it's never been easier to get lost the weeds of jargon. Let's start with the basics. What is the internet of things? Well, IoT describes the network of physical objects, the things, that are embedded with sensors, software, and other technologies for the purpose of connecting and exchanging data with other devices and systems over the internet. Thank you, Google, for that definition. Let's take it one step further. Think the smart thermostat in your home, the Apple watch on your wrist, all the way to the remote sensors on a piece of equipment a hundred miles from the nearest town. We are surrounded with sensors in all aspects of our life. And with the evolution of the internet, And our ability to bring all of those sensors together and then to process large amounts of data, the Internet of Things is being used to make our lives better, safer, make our companies more profitable, and the list continues. Alberta IoT was founded in 2017 by a group of passionate Albertans and has grown to over 175 member companies. These range from startups to established organizations who are pivoting and expanding into this exciting sector. At the core of the Alberta IoT approach is the ability for leaders to share a common voice and to support each other to grow as an entire sector. We are stronger together, and Alberta IoT has provided the platform and and essentially the ability for these companies to come together to share that voice. From their fast-track program, to their work with government, to helping increase visibility for local companies, they are at the intersection of this amazing growth opportunity. Join me as I chat with some of the zebras and soon-to-be unicorns in Alberta who are helping to put our province on the map as a global leader in IoT. To find out more about Alberta IoT and its member companies, as well as upcoming events, please visit their website at www.albertaiot.com. Hello, and a warm collisions, YYC welcomes Mr. Alan Tay from Aurora Aerial. How are you doing, Alan?
1: Pretty good, Tyler. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks for coming on. It's an honor. You are the first guest in our series in support of Alberta IoT and the fantastic work that Brenda and her team over there are doing in Alberta. And It's nice to talk to them, but it's also to get out on the ground and talk to the individuals in our province that are in the IoT space, which I think for a lot of people is just an acronym that they don't ever actually understand kind of what it means. So today I'd like to unpack that, learn a little bit about what you guys are doing. So let's start from the top. Tell us a little bit. What is Aurora Aerial and uh, what role do you guys play in our ecosystem?
1: Aurora Aerial is actually a custom drone manufacturer and uh, we produce industrial drones. Um, and customized to the workflow. So it was formed in recognition of industrial 4.0 to embrace uh, IoT, it actually means internet of things using the new edge devices to stay connected on the internet. So for us, a drone is just a connection of sensors and devices together that can transmit, it's all interlinked and connected together. And we're trying to help people piece all those information together. Um, make it into a useful application for them as an era platform. So that is what our Era does.
0: Alan, that was very, very well done. Not every business owner can articulate their business and their value propositions as clearly as you just did. I really appreciate that. Maybe just to unpack a little bit. I never like to leave anything on the table that's maybe potentially misunderstood by our audience. Unpack Industrial 4.0 for me for, for me a little bit in terms of just so our audience so we're all kind of at a level of playing field. Mm.
1: So, Industrial 4.0 is actually a new concept that a lot of people is trying to catch on, um, not only yourself. Um, it's actually for us to industrialize and bring forward the new ways of manufacturing items using the internet or the connectivity. And the workflow-wise is going to be consist of a lot of automation okay. and to increase efficiency. So, every industrial revolution, it brings around a great country. So that's actually how, you know, Britain, U.S. has always been evolved. And um, even China is picking up previously from the previous mm-hmm. time. That's how okay. they become the factories of the world as well. So it's all the industrial revolutions um, that help countries stay afloat because it's, it's, uh, whoever embraces it fast will be able to, you know, maximize the benefits of the efficiency that it brings And of course, reducing borderline and increasing profits and improving the economy for the whole country.
0: I uh, I appreciate that. So from a perspective of, you know, talking about this on a global stage, you are are based in Calgary. Are you you guys based here? Like, is this your head office in Calgary?
1: No, our head office is in Winnipeg uh, for the manufacturing. And then we do have an office here in Calgary. Um, And then there's a lot of management and a lot of validation and testing our manufacturing and r&d are mostly based out of uh, winnipeg
0: okay oh so so canadian wide so you are you are north north of the border where does where do where would you say from your perspective that canada sits you know cuz obviously this podcast is very focused on economic transformation in calgary which is in alberta which also is in canada so the, the conversation expands very quickly where do we sit on the on the world stage as far as the 4.0 and our adoption how where where are we in that race and maybe i'm am i wrong or right to call it a race <laughs>
1: It is a race, and that was why um, I would say that we are, the, and being Canadians, we have a few, depending on which industry you're talking about, we have a few companies that's leading the charge, and we are in the run, uh, forefront runner for that. And, okay. But if you're talking about some of the industry that is like automotive, um, which is not really our warehouse, Um, Mm -hmm. places like US or Europe, like Germany, is actually um, taking the lead in that sense. And Canada is, as I say, depending on which industry, I don't want to throw a blanket, but we are part of the race as well. With that, um, the competition is very stiff between Europeans um, and Asia, basically China, India, um, US, and Germany. Mm -hmm. They're all right in the forefront there.
0: I appreciate though you bring it down different industries will be at different stages depending on how much that industry is a wheelhouse for that for that nation. Automotive manufacturing in Germany comes to mind right away. That's a, that's an interesting one. So curious from your perspective the aerial you know, talk to me about an application where we you know we've kind of set the stage of what 4.0 is and maybe the role that your drones can play in that setting but also the specific industries. Like I always love to give people real examples of where you would see your technology now implemented to be part of that 4.0 changeover.
1: Yeah, it's a very easy... Uh, I would just give two application that... Okay. Um, in fact, we are trying to prove it out right now. Okay. So one application is um, power lines. So every every province in Canada, we I would say every province, we have power lines that need to be monitored and need to be surveyed. In the past, it is always using, um, contracting helicopters out to have a look. And then after that, the pilots have to use their magnificent skill, um, you know, to fly dangerously close to the power lines to make repairs and take a picture and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So what we can do as a drone is you can fly the drones about 100 feet or as close as possible with a very good sensor, i.e., camera, uh, tissue camera high definition. And we can take a picture of it. And right then and there, you can process and assess with the AI capability if it is a anomaly or not. And if it is, you could send that report back to the maintenance people, identify as a location that they should have a further look or investigation of that. So with that being said, that saved those companies um, or hydro companies when it comes to asset maintenance Mm -hmm. uh, millions of hours because in the past, they have looked through thousands of images to look for um, abnormality, headlines and phrases and stuff like that. But right Mm -hmm. now, we can shorten the time to just pinpoint to them the asset location. They save the time from going through all those videos. So
0: that's one. Is is that also a really good you know use case or an example of because it's such a consistent amount of data of what good looks like the ability for AI to now come in and go this is an anomaly like it feels like it's actually that it's almost purpose built for that type of a situation when you've got a pretty big use case of what like this is a situation that is not in breach or 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 damage where it can assess very quickly when it is.
1: Exactly, we can assess it very quickly and um, almost at real time basis.
0: interesting. so when you think of IOT to give people an idea like to really wrap their head around it, it's you know the internet of things, the ability to communicate across that bandwidth, but also it's our ability to process the large amount. Is that why you're seeing IOT also kind of move forward and become so much more of a mainstream concept now because we're it's almost the perfect coming together of the ability the quality of the sensors, the ability to move the data, but also the ability to process the data in a useful way.
1: Exactly. It's actually to get the information out to the timely. The say, because, like for example, the second application that I was talking about is, mm-hmm. you know, if people call 911 right now, you have to go to a dispatcher. Yes. And the dispatcher will say, okay, you know, where is your location? And get your location or to track yourself or where is it? And then before sending EMS or whoever to you, so the EMS have to fight the traffic and, well, not so much in Calgary case, but if you're looking at Toronto.
0: Yes, um, or Vancouver or Montreal. Vancouver,
1: or, sorry, like not to give, I, I mean, no, no offense, but the traffic no, can, is really In Calgary,
0: bad. we have less bad traffic. I think that's, not, I think that's actually a, that's a positive thing, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then, so when that is the case, then the drones would be able to take off at a preset location, like a fire station within the X kilometers, and the dispatcher mm-hmm. can dispatch that out to the cell phone and give them emergency using aerial platforms and can drop an AED and stuff. It's a similar concept as uh, the STARS helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, you're familiar with the STARS helicopter?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so it's a similar concept, but instead it's like EMS, um, emergency support, providing AED right out the back while the actual EMS fights the traffic and gets to you. So in that sense, the connectivity such as a 5G large bandwidth is able to provide live video and even the voice to the person and even the medical supply. And that is all real time. In the past, we couldn't do that. We can only rely on the cell phone and Mm -hmm. hoping that will work in that sense. So that's the second application whereby IoT will prove itself out to be very Uh, useful because we are staying in the connected world and then we can get the information right off the bat
0: and something like you just described, I would assume that would obviously be more limited to currently now like dense rural centers, like the rural versus urban when it comes to connectivity. that's a gap. And I, you know, spent some time in rural Quebec this summer, my family's from there. And I realized how much I take for granted my high speed internet (laughs) at my home for my ability to connect and operate my business and do all the things. So when you think about IOT, are we limited at all when it comes to geography and where we can go versus like, are we always going to be at the whim of connectivity, i.e. the internet? Or am I over again, oversimplifying? Um, There's
1: several ways to get connected to the internet. And then yes, Depending on where you are at, technology has improved so much and there's also a lot of innovators in the country and a lot of great companies are forming up. So I will not say there's a limitation. It's just how we can have better connectivity and better IoT performance. And some of the applications that IoT was being used is just a normal monitoring system that doesn't need a real-time response whereby delay by one second it's not a life and death issue.
0: So really understanding the use case, but all in all, as technology as a whole kind of lifts us up, that's where you're seeing a lot of opportunity for, because you know, I'm going to be, I have the privilege, I'm going to be talking to many different IoT-based companies that all work in different spaces, but we're still circulating around the same term. A, a little bit curious, like maybe getting into really the world you live in when it comes to aerial and to drones, how much are we also, like I'm just curious from regulatory and, how many hoofs are you jumping through on a regular basis to also be like permissibility?
1: <laughs> actually, it's not that bad because um, Transport Canada, who is the regulator, has actually formed a task force to come out and help industry people like us to work and to work with us and also to make it an uh, application safe for the public. So they come out with the regular audits, not really audits, but they come out with pointers. We work with them and say, Say, have you discussed and have you explored this one? We told them that we wanted to do this. Like, okay, we can work with it. This is the limits. this is the risk. How do you mitigate that? So, these are the approaches that we work with the regulators on a regular basis, and which is good because there are some, in some parts of the world, the regulator is just coming, this is the regulation, follow it. For us, the regulator Top down, top right down now,
0: versus, versus actually a collaborative approach.
1: That's right. So that's what is uh, pretty good right now for regulators. And we are still on a you know, crawl run approach. That means we are crawling. That's why we are moving so slowly because regulators want to work with us to see what kind of regulation, what kind of effect will they have in our operations.
0: Interesting. Well, and I see that as a much more, if you take the time and work with the regulators, there's probably less chance of having regulations put in place that actually now become blocks and and, and, and kind of go no-go points for your company. Versus if, if the industry shoots over too fast, the regulator then has been for, will be forced to come in with maybe a heavier hand than, than, than anybody wants. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. And um, Canada's regulators, is, I would say, they're one of the most forthcoming right now in the world in that sense. And um, they are very really good. And because also we do have, uh, for the area side, we do have an industry organization that okay. is, uh, provide a lot of uh, regulatory advocacy to the Transport Canada group in Ottawa as well. And in fact, I think next month we are having an industry group meeting here. Is a Amen systems Canada here, uh, right in Calgary?
0: Excellent. So you're you're part of the industry because obviously IoT is a blanket statement. But when you talk about the aerial side of what you're doing, is it a fairly like uh, how I guess how busy or how full is this space in Canada? Is there like a few companies and you all know each other, or is this an, is this an industry that we're seeing going to be seeing more and more as applications for these types of aerial units just it keeps to I'm only going to imagine it's just going to keep expanding.
1: It's just gonna keep expanding um every year like our area was formed in twenty eighteen so at the time the space was not crowded um okay. even now it's still not too crowded, but as the regulation get more relaxed. there's more people coming up with innovation, and there's more people that's willing wanting to have a pie in this space. It's fine because we all work collectively because. Right now, in this space, there's still so much to be done in the ecosystem to make it an industry. So it's still pretty brand new, I would say. And the infrastructure is just getting being placed, put in place. 5G is just coming on. So, and that would be a good, that, that is a turning point for us, for many of us.
0: Well, I'm assuming right across the whole IoT ecosystem, that's going to play a factor with 5G, the ability to to communicate. Because it is a a bit of a house of cards. If one piece isn't there, the others are not going to do as well. Uh, Curious, how long have you been involved with Alberta IoT as as far as as them as an organization?
1: Oh, it's actually since uh, last year. Um, Okay. I would say about what June or May, And I'm actually one of the first cohort for the Alberta IoT uh, fast track program.
0: Excellent. I've been yeah. talking to a few and I, it's funny. I, I talked to a few companies and they're all very proud and very quick to say, yeah, we were part of the first. Everybody loves to be first. So for you as an organization, would you guys get, would you consider yourself a startup? I don't want to say that if that's not the case.
1: Yes, we are a startup. I'll be sure for it.
0: Okay. Well, but I understand in the fast track program, there's a lot of companies that are 30, 40 year companies in Alberta that are maybe startups when it comes to formally being in the IoT space. But oftentimes with those fast track programs, you don't see that mix or that maybe that's my own perspective. How was that experience for you being in the room? Like, was it it a great learning because like everyone had to bring something to the table, but IoT was the backdrop? Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, that's right. Almost everyone is bringing something to the table and there's actually different expertise. And everybody view IoT differently. Similar as what you say, there's a few companies that um, has been around, or they're even public company. There's a couple of them that's even a public company uh, who is embracing IoT in the new world and how to fast track using that because the fast track program is great for making the connection. I can do everything in IoT. It's such a big space and it's still (laughs) evolving. So with all of us coming together, having your own niche, we can form a network and uh, to prove out the ecosystem, like I'm working with like, actually three or four of them together on a partnership uh, program to bring a better product or application out to the market. So that's how we can get fast track. And, you know, that fast track program is actually really good because we even have actual VC who has been investing in uh, IoT to come and give us all the ins and outs and what are they looking for, which is Oh, really excellent.
0: Give you the cheat sheet for your pitch deck. <laughs>
1: Exactly. So <laughs> Which we all really want good. that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Curious, how is the venture model? Like, is it, you know, because you guys are startup, probably early seed round. Is there an appetite out there with the venture community to be able to invest? Like, I guess, is there an appetite? But do they get it? Do they get IoT?
1: <laughs> there is a few people, there's a few organization that is coming around to get IoT. Okay. And in fact, Brenda and the team has been doing a good job by keeping those guys in the loop. And nice. bring them to the fast track program, introducing hmm. us to them, and we have a better understanding of their thesis and what traction we need to have the milestones to hit, and we'll qualify for it. So that makes our job easier, but it's not that really that easy. We <laughs> <they> have to <laughs> hit the milestone, so don't get me wrong.
0: Yes, <laughs> no, no. It's it's never easy, but it's it can be less hard or more hard. I guess is what I'm hearing. What I'm hearing you say. Is there kind of a universal, you know, as someone and I also. Whether you're in IoT or in any startup space, I guess what have you learned in terms of some of that the raise? It's such a critical part. If you can't the money is the fuel. It's the it's, you know, it's 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 the it's the energy in the tank to keep things moving forward. I guess any lessons that you've learned kind of in those early stages of having those conversations of like what you thought was important versus what they think is important, maybe?
1: Yeah, there's a well, investors always think about returns and always think about how marketability is it. So, the main thing is for us as soon as possible to get an MVP out and to prove that there's people willing to pay for it. Yes.
0: And and was that, what was that? And I'm curious because I've had a lot of guests on the show that, you know, don't it's kind of the joke, like make sure you take and show your baby around and someone tells you your baby's ugly, then you can go back and fix it. But a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of technically oriented individuals, we tend to protect our idea. So for yourself, was that a learning curve or did you guys just get it all out there to get that feedback? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, It's actually for us, we took a while because we had to work with the regulators and do a bit of dancing down there to be compliant. And then once that is the case and then we bring it out to people and showcase and they tell us how good or how bad that product is and we go back and change it and then they say in order to make in order to earn my business this is what kind of features you have so that's why we have to do the dancing around again so that's why in the three years we are pretty much coming up and improvising it all the time and that makes it tougher for us to race with the VC because once VC comes in they need to be able to scale up like really fast
0: Right, that, that, that trial and error phase versus, okay, we've got a, a concept that is gonna get traction. How much can we grow that concept without constantly shifting the platform?
1: Hmm. Exactly.
0: And for you're a you know, ultimately the things you need to run a business, we need the right people, we need the right idea, we need the right funding. How about customers? Is there an openness out there? Like that the 4.0 model, talk about example of, you know, uh, public utilities with dealing with power lines, uh, right down to talking about EMS. Those are both more, I would say at the regulatory or at the government level is that where you guys are seeing traction or is it right across the board into just like large scale commercial versus, you know, crown corps or, or provincial?
1: Well, um, I would say that the traction interest is, um, mostly driven by the public contracts for the time being right now. Okay. Okay. And a lot of them is a service provider who provide for the crown corporations, which is, um, yeah sorry, I take it back. A couple of hydro companies are not crown corporations anymore.
0: okay, yes, okay. yes. different provinces have very different setups. yeah, sure. So oh, and then, so yeah when fact- you gave your examples, they were both kind of at a scale that was you know either municipal or provincial or even national. Just that kind of resonated with me. Mm.
1: yeah, so but they are not really that, but it's it's the use case. What is the use case for it, and that's what is the pin point? a lot of it right now that we are addressing, it drives, it addresses safety issue. Okay. For example, um, or life and death, like the power lines is actually one no brainer because it endangered the flight crew so much flying the helicopter and the cost of a helicopter is almost like 10 X of a yep. drone. And, um, so it's actually a no brainer in the application wise. Hmm,
0: That's interesting. It- I would say maybe there's some helicopter pilots that don't like the idea, but uh, <laughs> there's always something that gets yes. They could become a drone a, dr- a drone pilot. Uh, curious. I, I'm I think you had, I think in your LinkedIn profile you had aviator listed. My first career I was a commercial pilot as well. So curious about the who you're who does this attract to the industry? Like who flies these units? Are these pilots? Are these more people that kind of get in because they want to be specifically you know UAV pilots? Like I'm just curious. Now this is more of a personal question maybe than anything.
1: It's actually very interesting. I would say that that is a mix. Okay. Um, When that is a, because you have to take a course and then you'll be given a pilot certificate to pilot the aircraft. Okay. Um, Although it's unmanned. However, the people who are there, they need not go through the commercial pilots training. Basically the PPL and then the CPL or Mm -hmm. CPL stands for commercial pilot license. And then to take the instrument license before you can fly commercially. Mm-hmm. You do not have to go through all those hoops and loops; it make it easy. Okay. However, with that being said, it's very interesting. Is that this is a new industry and it's actually going to be good? We do see a lot of um, in the past two years a lot of people who are career change. Okay. Are some people mm-hmm. who were oil and gas technicians, and that when the oil and gas is going out, um, they are ran out of jobs they decide to take this one out because they think it's within their warehouse. Um, So they can pick it up quite easily um, with some people training and to do that. Um, We do see some people who desired to have more become like a sensor operator to understand all the sensors and analytics. So that turned on a lot of analytics, data, people coming on. So it's a widespread of people coming on. So it's very interesting especially with some of it is a career change and it's a low barrier to entry and you've paid quite decently. So people are looking at that as well.
0: And it's also early stage in the industry. So they're getting kind of they get an early mindset of there's going to, you're going to need. Is it almost like a flight crew you have, where you've got the operator, you've got the technician who's managing the sensors? Like I'm just thinking about very literally as as a flight crew, you've got your flight engineer, you've got those different individuals involved with the piece of equipment because it's not like the, there, there's its movement in space, but then there's everything it does while it's there.
1: Mm-hmm. It is. You're right. So we need flight crew. We need. Um, we call them flight crew, but some of the terms is called visual observer. We need people to look out for the aircraft. Um, we need what we call maintenance people or technicians, people who maintain the aircraft um, because they have to maintain a certain way according to Transport Canada regulations. Mm -hmm. And um, the pilots in command, it could be the one that's flying or you can even have the sensor operators who is flying it as part of the flight crew to operate the sensor while the aircraft is flying. So it really depends on the mission uh, of that sense. And there's sometimes depending on what is the mission, they can be operated the operator, the actual person who fly the aircraft is a computer that sits in a box, like what, <laughs> 20 kilometers away. So-
0: Interesting. What, hey, let's get, let, let, I'm gonna, I am wanna geek out a little bit here. What's the, what's the functional useful range for one of these devices? Is it by flight time? I'm assuming it's time in the air because you're always gonna be limited to battery. Like, what are some of the kind of technical criteria around like usable payload, things like that, when you think about these devices?
1: Um, yeah, for the usable t- payload and stuff, the uh, most common one is mostly is the DJI that a lot of people would like to use and start off with because they're economical. Um, usefulness is normally about 20 to 30 minutes and you're looking at 2 to 3 kilograms of payload. Um, of course, when you're looking at industrial, it gets up all the way to 100 kilograms, 500 kilograms. But uh, because of regulation, states about 25 kilograms as one of the caps. So therefore... Oh,
0: interesting. Okay.
1: So therefore, a lot of... Uh, like, for example, ourselves being uh, our area, we have to get creative regarding um, that restriction because regulators say 25 kilograms is a maximum takeoff, uh, is a maximum or up weight for the takeoff, it's a cap. So, being a, being a manufacturer, if we make the airframe lighter, like 10 kilograms, and having a light batteries, a small set of batteries, I can carry a payload up to 12 kilograms. But if yeah. you want to fly for a longer period of time, the mission is meant more like flying for a long duration. My payload will become batteries, and I can fly like one hour or one and a
0: half hours. Okay, that's oh, that's interesting. I appreciate that. And do you, for uh, obviously, are you guys are these these vehicles designed in a way that you can? There is, they, they, you made it sound very modular. We can have the light airframe version with the with the heavy batteries. We can have the light batteries and the heavy payload. I'm assuming it's a bit of a puzzle. Like back to your point, what's the use case? What do we actually have? Are they that flexible? Is it that <laughs> modular to be able to switch them up for different use cases?
1: Uh, for our case, yes, because we are the okay. custom drone manufacturer, and the, but yes. I do not speak so for the rest of the manufacturer.
0: Okay, I, I understand. So because you guys have it's what you it's what you do. <laughs>
1: Because that is the pain point that we hear from other people. Like I got this aircraft and then like an operator was telling me I got 47 aircraft or pilot aircraft and I got this one. But none of them can do this mission and I have to take this one apart and put this one in to do it to fit the profile. So I'm like, OK, so that's the difference. Um, and then from those people who have been operating for a while, we're like, OK, so you need something really more modular, light airframe, longer duration. How do we play the flux? That's why the company was designed, or actually was evolving to suit the application needs.
0: Mm. And is that part of the, like sounds like that's an, that's part of the evolution of the space of of realizing that these are actually going to be modular devices, so that one user can have multiple use cases now for a similar device in terms of or a variety of devices that can mi- mix and match together.
1: Mm. Exactly, like plug and play. That's what it is, and open source. So. Um, you do not have to stick to I'm not sure um, the, even remember like Apple many many years ago when Apple Face came out it's not even able to cross to any other platform you have to buy even a charger and everything
0: yes everything every, that, Yeah, and then and that's, only uh,
1: work with that device and that. yeah so we're trying to make do away with it I'm more of an open source kind of guy kind of framework <laughs>
0: I, 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 those are very different philosophies I, I, that are, that show up in kind of different space. So for yourself from, you know, obviously you see huge potential in your, in your space, but when you think about IOT in general as, you know, or maybe even industrial IoT, if we stay inside the commercial side of the application, where are we on the, on the scale? Are we like, are we early, are we in our infancy? Like in terms of, I'm just thinking about upside and the mandate that Albert IOT has to put us on the map as the center of excellence in, in Alberta. I guess when, from your perspective, like where are we on that journey? Is it still early, early days?
1: Um, I would say it's not early, early, but it's in the early days. We are okay. kicking off. The industry is taking off and it's taking shape right now, but it just need to have more adaptation of the technology and more mm-hmm. acceptance as, as, um, as you can be made aware. As well, the infrastructure, the basic infrastructure of connectivity is just on rising up and become readily available to us right now.
0: Okay. So you work also all across Canada, thinking about Alberta specifically. Is there anything you see here that's a real, that we have as an advantage? Or also, is there anything that, that is kind of slowing us down in terms of like, is it regulatory? Is it access to talent? Is it you know interest in the space? Like Curious, what could Alberta do to, what, what could we do to be better, <laughs> equipped to be the IoT Centre of Excellence?
1: because I think um, to be friendly like right now Alberta has reformed and has been shaping up to be more of a technology base and it has a lot of talents that's able to be suitable for that even and the government has invested a fair bit into major companies like other mls and um, mm-hmm. those analytics companies to help us with the talent searching and the ter- training of it that's another um, so for us, uh, over here the, uh, but the government has also invested in the rural broadband heavily and with Tellers and Rogers picking up the slack now that making the connectivity paving the way for us to bring in or to adapt all those applications right into the northern communities so that provides a huge advantage there are there's not many province or territories that okay. can be as well connected in the rural area as we are so that is a big advantage for us, um, for the IoT committee, as how I personally see it.
0: Well, you've you've said multiple times that that ability to get the connectivity you need is the make or break for IoT to really be able to accelerate and have that impact. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's in my own personal naive uh, opinion.
0: <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate your humility, uh, Alan. Access to talent. You touched on it briefly. It's it's a topic of conversation that I have with almost every business leader. Um, are do we have the talent pool here, or do you need to look like abroad, and are you pulling talent from everywhere?
1: Hmm. Um, for our for our area, which is a drone company, we have to pull talents almost from anywhere because, um, for our company, for our industry itself, we are not. There's no specific training school that does the drone pilot training or the drone okay. training on how to make a drone or to program the drone. Um, so therefore, we have to get someone and we have to train them a bit more. However, um, with more of an AI um, or computing form of training, Carl Alberta is providing a good base of candidates okay. that we can choose from. So okay. that's why I say uh, with the investments, it's helping us a lot. Because it's providing us a bigger base of people with, the compu- with knowledge in computing.
0: So not necessarily people that were trained in your sector, but because of the foundational learning they have around data, AI, ML, all, all, of, the, all of the tools, they can step into this space and have the platform to then be able to be you know, industry specific to work on what you guys need. Interesting in terms of just uh, curious from a size like uh, how many people on your team right now how big how big is your organization in terms of maybe just headcount i know that's not a not always what means size but what's your headcount right now
1: uh, right now without counting the interns we have about 14 of us uh, as full time okay.
0: excellent yeah. so lo- lots of people wearing lots of hats doing lots of things <laughs>
1: exactly and uh, <laughs> we're still looking for good people as well but it takes so much time for us to train uh, for anyone so we Work with a lot of academics like universities. Mm-hmm. We work a lot with UA and uh, SAID and University of Manitoba as well. Okay. Um, and then so we work with all those four, and each of them we have about two to four interns from each of them. So that makes another half of the team. That's like 16. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's interesting. But that, oh, I I love the role that post secondary is playing so much more, I think, in real time, you know, versus the old model of post secondary of build a course and then provide it for the next 10 years. Where now I've had lots of, you know, I have a great relationship, we have a partnership with Sate and their corporate training and how much they're like in real time adapting, training, finding out what industry needs. We're all looking to an unknown future, trying to guess what skills we're going to need to come forward. So it's great to hear that you've got that level of collaboration that you're, that you are open and cause it does take time, but also they're open to kind of provide and to listen to what you guys need. And, you know, <laughs> you're learning that every day too, I imagine.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And uh, we have a very good, I think the various heads of departments um, in Those institutions that we work with are very open to collaboration, especially with an integrated workplace learning environment.
0: I appreciate that. And that's cer- certainly the feeling that I've been getting. And even over the last couple of years, the conversations I've had with post-secondaries, this changed quite significantly how it's evolved. And 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 we're all, you know, the, the speed of change is is not decreasing across any sector, whether it's the venture cap sector, understanding new industries to invest in or opportunities for talent. But Alan, really excited to learn about what you guys are doing. And as, I, as I'm as i peeling back more layers on this, you know, broad IoT concept in Alberta, I'm quite excited about it. And I don't know, something something in my gut just we're such a province of, of, of big projects and big equipment and we have sensors from one top of the par- province to the other. I think our ability to be a leader in this space, I get very excited about that, almost in a naive way to, your, to, to kind of your comment. But uh, if, there's nobody, if there's anybody that can make something happen, I do believe our province has that, has that get or done philosophy, which I hear in your guys', in your guys story as well.
1: <laughs> that's right, that's right. You echo it really good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thanks, thanks, Alan. Alan, what's the best way? I'm assuming your your, your website, auroraaerial.aero, uh, if people want to check it out. If someone wants to get a hold of you, learn more, find out about the industry. If someone is just dying to invest, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you guys?
1: <laughs> yeah, just go to our website. The contact information is over there. And um, if you want to get a hold of our airframes, we have a leasing program up right now um, that for people to validate and try it out as well. So,
0: I, pre- I appreciate reduce the, redu- reduce the barrier for people to try it. That's, a, that's, that's a super smart cause, cause you're right. It's probably one of those, it just keeps, it can easily get pushed off. but if you get a chance to try it and then actually get to recognize and see, see benefit in your organization. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Alan, thanks so much for your time today. And thanks for the, thanks for the really like the incredible work you're doing. I really, really, really interesting what you guys, what you guys are about. And I was really uh, honored to uh, have you share your story. So thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. And it's an honor and it's always a pleasure
0: speaking to you, Tyler. Awesome, thanks Alan.
1: Okay, thanks, bye.